Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he only went insane in Arles. Yeah. yeah. The more south he went, the more south his mind that's went. That's south he went. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He he sniffed too much lavender. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Friday, October the thirteenth, and this is the Dutch News podcast. Your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Trader Karma Tombola host, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Swiss Flag Abuser. I, I know what my job title is about, but I have no idea what the Tombola is, tombola. let alone a Tombola host, so please explain this to me. Well, this is to do with uh, something we were talking about this week and we've uh, brought up on Twitter. This is uh, um, the finalized lists of candidates for the election um, have been handed in now to the Electoral Council uh, and they now have to draw up this enormous bedsheet sized ballot paper Ah, it, uh, and, and then they have uh, at last count 29 parties uh, it may drop down a couple more but uh, at the moment it's 29 parties they have to fit them all on this one ballot paper so they have to decide what order to put the parties in um, yeah. and the existing parties uh, the parties that are in Parliament uh, come first they go on the left hand side of the ballot paper and then as you unfold it, um, <laughs> you, you come across uh, gradually the smaller parties, but the, um, the, order, the smaller parties that come in uh, has to be drawn by lots. And they actually yeah. have a ceremony or sort of a little... Um, uh, they, yeah, they, it they, is they, a they, ceremony. They you can call it a ceremony. Like a ceremonial draw, yes, with, with the, which, which looks a lot like the UEFA Champions League or the draw for Eurovision <laughs> or something like that. To, 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 um, it, it, they, they have this sort of big glass bowl full of bulls and they pull them out they pull the bulls out and they have to unscrew them unravel a piece of paper then read out the name and it's just yeah. f- funny to see you know what was something that looks to all intents and purposes like a draw for a world cup and they'll unravel this paper <laughs> and they'll say jesus leeft or something <laughs> yeah the, the the this is done by the by the kiesraad yeah. the the electoral board which is the greyest uh um, <laughs> exactly, yeah. group of men you have ever seen in your life and uh yeah they they you you feel that they are excited about this because this is this is like the highlight of their uh, uh, of like usually a four four year period yeah. and there there's this ball with with very colorful balls in it and yeah it is it is just a a, a um, surreal spectacle mm. uh, and and uh, the video I posted on on Twitter was from the European elections in uh, in 2019 I believe and it involved some uh, parties that are now familiar familiar names of course. Uh, forum for democracy but also fault and in that video you saw Laurens Dasse we're going to talk about in uh, in the um, uh, uh, Patreon special uh, yeah. this this uh, uh, this week uh, you see him a front row uh, filming the entire ceremony uh, <laughs> uh, um, and uh, back then he was a completely unfamiliar name. Right now he is a relatively unfamiliar name compared to the other political leaders. But uh, I was surprised to see him uh, sitting there. Um, but this ceremony is held today. Um, yes. Uh, 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 so um, yeah, it's, it is live streamed, so uh, you can, you can watch it if you want. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, we will uh, finally know what the order of uh, on the on the ballot paper will be yep and they can then draw up this uh, th- these huge ballot papers and uh, yes we can all look forward to hunting down the name of your candidate on them 
if you are if you are voting. Um, but meanwhile, Paul, are, are you? Um, do we need to crowdfund your legal case? Are you going to prison? Have you been desecrating the the, the Swiss flag again? Uh, have you no, been have no, me no, hanging I... upside down? <laughs> I've tried to do that, but it turns out then you, you are not desec- uh, desecrating it uh, when, when you do that. Uh, yeah, this this is uh, about a, a something we I didn't know, uh, and a lot of people didn't know. It turns out that it is uh, in the Netherlands it is illegal to insult a flag, but only one flag in particular, and that is the Swiss flag. Yeah. Why is that? It has to do with the... Geneva Conventions of uh, 1948, I believe, uh, and also... Um, uh, it's to do with uh, the Red Cross. It's a symbol of the Red Cross. So it's the fact that you could, it's to protect the Red Cross from being um, misappropriated, effectively. Yes, yeah. but, but the Red Cross is the inverse of the of the Swiss coat of arms. Yeah. Uh, but because it has such resemblance, of course, yeah. uh, it is also forbidden to uh, insult uh, uh, the, 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 the Swiss symbols as well. Yeah. Um, and that all has to do with, um, yeah, um, um, out of respect and out of uh, recognition of the Red Cross, but also the Geneva Conventions. It is actually part of the Geneva Conventions. Yeah. So every country that has signed it, which is uh, almost everyone, um, they had to include some sort of clause, some sort of law that uh, that that uh, forbids it to uh, f- forbids people to 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 insult the Swiss flag. So it is not a not a not a typically Dutch thing. It is actually a worldwide global thing. Yeah. Uh, but I never realized it was actually in the book of uh, of law in the Netherlands. Yeah, it's, it's um, in the penal code, and it specifies yeah, that you it can is. get up, you can have up, you can be uh, uh, receive a sentence of up to a month in prison. If, uh, yeah. if if you insult the Swiss flag, which is quite yeah, and given that there's no penalty for insulting the Dutch flag, so um, if you're out burning flags this weekend, just make sure that you leave your Swiss <laughs> one folded in the drawer. Yes. So uh, yeah, so that, that's a nice little snippet. And of course, we can't repeal this law because it's part of the Geneva Convention. So the only way that no. we can uh, uh, get rid of this uh, draconian statute is uh, to actually um, yeah, d- 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 is, is to withdraw from withdraw from the Geneva Convention. So I imagine yes. Thierry Baudet is starting the campaign even as we speak. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he uh, he has uh, a lot of plans uh, uh, with respect to these sort of things. Yeah. Um, it is also forbidden to uh, use the Swiss flag on uh, as a sort of advertisement or or, or a business logo. And that uh, I, one, I was wondering if that means that like a Swiss army knife, it has the you know yeah. a little flag of Switzerland on it. But uh, it is allowed to use the Swiss flag, but only for Swiss companies yep. who are Things who that can are actually, actually Swiss, prove they are from Switzerland. Yes. Yeah, it's the same uh, with so the Matterhorn, isn't it? You know, you're only allowed to use. Uh, a depiction of the Matterhorn Mountain on things that are Swiss, which is why Toblerone had to take it off because Toblerone, oh, cho- really? Toblerone chocolates no longer made in Switzerland, mm-hmm. it's made in Slovakia or somewhere, and they were ordered. The Swiss government ordered them to remove the Matterhorn from their packaging. Yeah. But is that part of the Geneva Convention? I don't think. That, well, I don't think that's a Geneva Convention. No, I think that's just the Swiss just being Swiss, but uh, <laughs> an extremely protectionist. But uh, yeah. But anyway, so there we are. So don't don't insult the Swiss flag. Or you'll you'll go to jail. Um, yeah, and we mentioned uh, Thierry Baudet there, um, and uh, we've got the, the joyous news that uh, after several months of absence, he has returned to our OPEF of the week slot. Uh, has he not? Uh, this week's OPEF is not related to the Israel-Gaza conflict, even though there was plenty 
uh, to choose from uh, from 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 that. Uh, and it's, it also has nothing to do with the penis of Gus Meeres, mm. mostly because the Dutch editor in chief uh, has forbidden us to uh, talk so much about penises on the podcast. Right. Uh, um, so instead, we take a look at uh, Eefde in Gelderland, where on Sunday Forum for Democracy held a festival called Forum Outside. <laughs> the festival map showed dozens of stands where members of the political party could enjoy activities such as teeth bleaching, getting uh, a Botox uh, injection or in something called salt therapy or bioresonance. Uh, and there was also plenty to eat like caviar, Bulgarian food and popcorn. Yeah. And party leader Thierry Baudet arrived by helicopter, so uh, people uh, immediately know where their money went. Yes. Um, <laughs> and he announced uh, a few days before the event that legendary 80s band Van den Berg would perform. I had never heard from them, but when I uh, looked them up on, on YouTube, uh, I... I uh, I, I recognized one or two uh, songs from them. Right. Um, but this claim was immediately denied by guitarist Artje van den Berg. We now know where the name of the band comes from. Uh, and uh, he clarified that the booked singer was indeed a member of the band uh, a very long time ago, but he was kicked out of the band in 1986 following misbehavior. Additionally, according to the lineup on the main stage, visitors could watch the deboning of a pig right after a wine tasting by MP Ralph Decker and before the children's disco. The deboning so, uh, of a pig. Where, where yes. Is that significant in FVD's folklore or something? But I have no idea. I, I, was, I, a pig donated uh, by the, was a pig donated by the British Conservative Party? I mean, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Probably, I I looked up uh, I, I I I looked on social media for pictures of this event, and uh, yeah, there were plenty of pictures from that, but not of the deboning of a pig. I was really curious to see what what that looked like. Right? Do, do, do you uh, get your teeth bleached before or after they've um, <laughs> you, you witnessed? I don't the pig know. Deboning. I also don't know yeah. if the pig got uh, Botox injections as well. Or his teeth bleached? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, and it was uh, it was uh, yeah, kind of curiously. Um, yeah, planned uh, right after the uh, children's disco. Um, and even though the event was widely advertised on Forum for Democracy social media channels, videos and photos taken, for example, from Cherry's helicopter and from attendees on the ground showed that turnout wasn't exactly spectacular. And despite uh, the overwhelming evidence, Forum did insist that the festival was an overwhelming success. Of course it did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the, the tickets were widely advertised on social media. I'd be interested to know the ratio between the tickets sold and the number of people who actually attended. Yeah, 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 indeed. And uh, if uh, Cherry is going to declare the... Uh, the incomes from this uh, from this festival as his as side incomes, but probably not. Mm, we'll see. This week, the Netherlands reacts to the flare-up of violence in Israel and Gaza. The election is turning into a three-horse neck-and-neck race. Extinction Rebellion parks its daily protest, hopefully at an electric charging station. We tell you how the cricketers got on at the World Cup in India, and a new exhibition examines how Van Gogh was inspired by the Seine before he went in Seine. <laughs> the Dutch government has been organising repatriation flights to bring back people fleeing Israel following the eruption of violence in and around Gaza last weekend. The Foreign Affairs Ministry is advising Dutch nationals to leave the country as soon as they can and at least 500 people have registered to leave. However, getting them out is proving tricky. KLM had agreed to send a passenger jet to Tel Aviv on Thursday, but cancelled it on security grounds. 
The National Airline is understandably cautious about flying over combat zones since the MH17 tragedy. The first 199 arrivals flew into Eindhoven on board a military cargo plane on Wednesday night. They included 28 secondary school children and four teachers from an academy in Rotterdam. The plane has a capacity of 267 but couldn't take any more passengers because it was unable to refuel in Tel Aviv. The government says it will keep running repatriation flights for as long as necessary. Initially, they thought that uh, two plane loads would probably be enough. But um, yeah, we'll see how many more people sign up. Kind of ironic that they uh, couldn't refuel because they are actually using a refueling aircraft uh, (laughs) to repatriate these people. Um, Yes, and um, this last night, uh, the second plane arrived in Rotterdam, carrying 200 uh, people on board and uh, a third evacuation flight is uh, planned later today Mm. Um, and um, how did Mark Rutte uh, respond to the attacks in Israel? Yeah, Rutte said the whole country was shocked by the images of hundreds of people being murdered at a music festival in cold blood. He said the Netherlands stood behind Israel's right to defend itself against terrorism and condemn the violence. But he also said the Netherlands was not considering freezing aid for Palestine, unlike some European countries, and said we needed to distinguish between the Palestinian people and Hamas. But his expression of unconditional support for Israel was criticised in some quarters um, for whitewashing the Israeli government's response, which has included bombing hundreds of targets in Gaza and cutting off supplies of food, water and electricity. The Secretary-General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, said collectively punishing the Palestinian people was a breach of human rights. So far, up till Friday, 1,300 people have been killed in Israel and 1,400 have died in strikes on Gaza, half of them children. Yeah, and uh, in the Netherlands there has been a heated debate about uh, flags this week, right? Yes, flags and uh, which flags uh, to fly and how to fly them. The Israeli flag was raised outside Dutch government buildings on Monday. Mark Rutte said flying a flag was the least the government could do to show support for Israel. But uh, with the exception of Amsterdam, the major cities declined to follow suit. Uh, which of course included The Hague. So you had the spectacle of the Israeli flag flying outside the Binnenhof, but the flag, uh, a different flag, the flag of The Hague, flying on the city council building. In Rotterdam, the mayor, Ahmed Abu Taleb, decided after consulting community leaders to fly the city's flag at half-mast above the Stadthouse. He said the flag was a recognition of civilian victims on both sides, and it was his job as mayor to keep the peace in a multicultural city. Populist party Leifbau Rotterdam it wasn't happy with that at all. They said it was scandalous and a very bad sign. And the chair of Rotterdam's Jewish community, Christian Hood, turned down an invitation to meet the mayor after a, pro- after a pro-Palestinian demonstration passed through the city on Sunday. And he said if a pro-terror demonstration is allowed and a small gesture of solidarity for the victims is too much, we have nothing to discuss. So he wasn't happy. And uh, also similar to the scenes in The Hague and Utrecht, uh, the mayor of The Hague, Jan van Zanen, chose to fly the city's own standard at half-mast. He said it was not an opportune moment to raise the Israeli flag. And in Utrecht, Sharon Dijksma, the city's mayor, took a similar decision. And she said her thoughts went out to people from the Utrecht with relatives in the area. Although that seemed less controversial. In in Rotterdam, the Fefe Day were very unhappy with Ahmed Abu Talib, but uh, the Fefe Day in Utrecht said that uh, that was a a standard way of commemorating tragedies in the city to fly the city's flag at half-mast. So... Uh, yes, uh, yeah. There was uh, the ANP, uh, the, the 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 press agency. They uh, had a map showing uh, which municipalities flew which mass, uh, which flag, and uh, half mast or full in top. It was um, yeah a little bit silly to see that. Uh, yeah, we were 
uh, heatly debating these kind of things when uh, yeah if you uh, uh, looked at what was happening in Gaza and in Israel then uh, yeah this was all a bit silly in my my opinion yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's a typical sort of thing that uh, yeah, local administrations do don't they it's get uh, yeah, yeah. unnecessarily yeah. tangled up in these things yeah it was also very a very Dutch phenomenon that every, everything's devolved at local level and it becomes a bit of a patchwork quilt but uh, anyway yeah uh, and meanwhile, uh, Amsterdam's uh, Jewish schools have closed because of safety fears today, right? Yes, the three, uh, there's three Jewish schools in the capital and they all closed on Friday. Um, partly, I think, because um, some former uh, Hamas leaders had called for a, a day of resistance or a day of protest. And uh, there were fears that there may be repercussions around the world. Uh, the National Coordinator for Countering Antisemitism said there was a prevailing fear in the Jewish community that the safety of school children could not be guaranteed. And the statement went on, it is unacceptable that Jewish children in the Netherlands do not feel they can go to school safely. Um, the school authority said uh, Mark Rutter and Justice Minister Dilan Yashilgas had promised extra vigilance and security for Jewish institutions, but so far there'd been no sign of it, um, and they couldn't rule out keeping the schools closed next week, although the Jewish liaison organisation, uh, CAO, has said this week that they think the schools probably can reopen again on Monday. The latest poll by INO Research suggests that the parliamentary election of November 22nd is likely to become a three-horse race between the ruling VVD, Pieter Omtzigt's brand new New Social Contract, or NSC, and the alliance between PvdA and GroenLinks. The VVD is leading slightly with 27 of the 150 seats in the Tweede Kamer, while the other two are currently projected to win 26 seats. At fourth place is the far-right BVV of Geert Wilders with 18 seats, followed by the pro-farmers BBB at 11. Uh, this is a big win for them compared to their single seat in parliament, but a disappointment if you take into account uh, they won all 12 provincial elections and subsequently became the biggest faction in the Senate a little over half a year ago. Yeah, in fact, that would be disappointing because it would be like uh, less than half the share of the vote they got in the uh, provincial elections, right? Because uh, the Senate is half the size of the Fede Kama and they got 16 senators. So, yeah. yeah, so you would expect them right now to have 32 seats. So yeah, that is... Uh, yeah, it's almost one third of, of, of how big they were in the, in the last elections. What else did uh, INO conclude from its research? They also asked the uh, 2,300 people that took part in the survey how certain they are of their current choice. And most, popo- most people who are currently saying they would vote for the VVD say they are definitely or highly likely to stick to their choice. But a lot of people say they are still considering NSC giving Peter Omzicht's party the largest growing potential. And NSC has only recently presented its candidate list, but still hasn't released its party manifesto, nor has they said who would become their prime minister in case they'll win the election. Yeah, and um, they always have nice graphs. They show the migration of, of voters uh, compared to last uh, election and how they are planning to vote right now. And you see that uh, the GroenLinks PvdA uh, tandem, they attract uh, quite a large share of voters from D66, even more than uh, from uh, GroenLinks or PvdA, yeah. which is uh, qu- quite surprising. And, and more, more and people from D66 are going to vote for GroenLinks PvdA than will vote for D66 this time as well. Yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. so uh, that, uh, that is uh, that is uh, uh, surprising and you see that uh, NSC they, they, uh, the Peter Omzicht's party it attracts it draws voters from, from all parties yeah, basically especially the, um, the, the CDR the Christian Democrats which of course is Omzicht's old, old party 
Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, but also VVD, D66, SP, uh, the PVV as well. Yeah. You wonder how how Peter Omzicht is going to combine all these, uh, yeah, ideologies together in in uh, and 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 and. Um, uh, when he comes with this party manifesto, uh, it is uh, it, it remains to be seen if all these uh, voters uh, still uh, feel at home at at this party. Yeah, and um, it does. I mean, one of the things that they uh, picked out in their uh, in their research was that uh, like two thirds of people who were voting for NSA were doing so really mainly because of Peter Omzicht rather than yeah. what the party stood for. It's really yeah. it is yeah. very much a massive personal vote, and he's very much carrying the party at the moment. So. I guess if he slips up in the debates, or uh, you know, um, uh, then things could uh, things could still change. There could be quite a big shift in the vote. Um, you know, it, 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 a lot is riding on 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 him and uh, and, and his personal reputation. Yes, uh, and uh, people, uh, there was a word cloud of uh, of of. Um yeah, opinions people uh, wrote down about uh, Peter Omzicht, and what mostly stood out was uh, was honest and trustworthy. Yeah, uh, which is uh, yeah, of course, uh, n- nice to 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 uh, be considered that. But uh, yeah, wh- what if you make a slip? Um, then uh, yeah, people will uh, yeah be uh, it can be very 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 quickly be disappointed with you. Yeah. So um, yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, there is a lot of a uh, lot of uncertainty uh, going on, and twenty percent of all the people uh, who uh, took part in this survey said they still have no idea who who, are, who they're going to vote for, and that uh, uh, yeah uh, accounts for thirty seats, right? So uh, yeah. there, there's still some big changes uh, uh, ex- uh, to be expected. Still a lot of seats of grabs, yeah. <clears throat> but when, when you look at this poll overall, though, I, th- I think um, uh, I'm worried this uh, this election is actually going to st- sort of. Uh, yeah, be a lot less exciting than we thought it would be because the only real coalition that you can see on these on the current polling is the, is the top three parties joining forces. Yeah. I mean, there's there's yeah. literally no other um, realistic option because um, neither Timmermans nor Omzicht will work with Wilders, who is the next biggest party. So, well, if you take him out, it's impossible to form a, form a coalition of less than about eight or nine parties. Uh, and the BBB, who were possibly the party that uh, might have been kingmaker in an alternative coalition, well, they're, they're, they're just in decline. And if they've only got 11 seats, then uh, the opportunities to form a coalition with them, uh, excluding one of the big three, is also um, very, very limited. Yes, because um, all the parties that come after Baby Bay, they all have five or six yeah, seats, six right, is the most or less. Think, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, and and you need seventy-six seats uh, for a majority coalition. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a, a good luck forming forming a coalition with this outcome. As you say, there's only one realistic option. So, um, yeah, um, and yeah, w- what if these parties do not, uh, uh, yeah, uh, f- find common ground? Uh, what will happen then? Um, then we will we can uh, we can expect Margrethe to uh, uh, <laughs> to sit in the torrent for for quite He'll a long another, uh, another five years yeah he, another he's, five years yeah, yes yeah the poor man is condemned he, to, uh, to to live in the torrent here until it uh, till it falls down yeah last year last last year he joked that he was only halfway uh, yeah. in his uh, tenure as prime minister and he might and this might come uh, become reality he, yes it might come back to haunt him yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And speaking of of the formation, um, so that's the period after the election when uh, parties are going to try to f- form a coalition. 
um, uh, the, um, a commission has advised uh, the Tweede Kamer to appoint a... Like, uh, like a permanent um, negotiator, right? Something like that? Yeah, a permanent yeah. negotiator. Yeah. So what, what usually happens is uh, the largest political party or the two largest political parties, they suggest someone to lead these, uh, these coalition talks. Usually that is someone who you know, has some sort of uh, a retired politician, someone with a, a someone who has a political uh, color, of course, but uh, but who has been um, uh, out of the arena for quite a long time. Um, and um, we, we've seen that this can uh, can turn out uh, to be dramatic. Um, it, it's, this can have dramatic consequences because last time um, uh, uh, the, the choice of the Verkenner, Kaisa Olongren, that uh, resulted in, in a, uh, yeah, what is it? Six month delay or something. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. When she walked so, out of a meeting with notes saying that uh, Omzicht should be giving a uh, a different job or a the elders. Yeah. Yes. So the advice is now to just appoint. Uh, yeah. The advice is just to appoint Herman Chinkwilling, really, isn't it? Yeah. Be, basically, one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, not Herman Chinkwilling, <laughs> but appoint um, 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 one a person who holds uh, a certain office. So yeah. uh, they they are thinking about the vice chairman of the Council of State. Um, uh, which ha happened to be Hermann uh, Schenk-Willink uh, for quite a long time. Um, but uh, other parties are saying, well, we have a person who stands above politics, uh, 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 who, who has been involved in forming a coalition. That is the king. Yes. We used to do that until 2010, I believe. That was the last time the, the Queen Beatrix was involved in the, in the formation of, the, of, the, of a coalition. And some parties are saying, yeah, perhaps we should bring that back because... Um, then we know for sure uh, that uh, this this person is apolitical. On the other hand, others are saying, yeah, this is a little bit too um, uh, untransparent um, uh, and and not part of the new administrative culture we want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there is still some um, still still uh, they still have quite some time to uh, debate about uh, uh, who should uh, who should take up this role. Yeah, the new administrative culture restore the monarchy. <laughs> so, yeah. so, and speaking of administration, uh, the Dutch News uh, survey is still open. If uh, if you haven't filled it in yet, uh, and, uh, and you want to uh, share your voting habits, whether you can vote and whether you're planning to, and whether you've got any idea who to vote for, uh, so we'll include a link to that in the line notes. And of course, we're also continuing with our special uh, episodes for our patrons, where we focus on uh, the 15 largest parties taking part in this election. Uh, so, if you want to uh, listen to that and get access to all our our other bonus content then uh, uh yeah sign up to our patreon page uh, details of which uh, will follow shortly and who are who are we going to discuss this week we are going to discuss we're going to, we're going to discuss the uh th three of the parties on the sort of progressive center left so uh the uh pay links combination france uh, that's headed by france timmermans uh the d66 d66 and fault and fault yeah thank you yeah, yeah. Environmental protest group Extinction Rebellion has suspended its daily blockade of the A12 motorway in The Hague after Parliament agreed to debate the phasing out of fossil fuel subsidies. On Tuesday, MPs backed a motion calling for the caretaker cabinet to investigate whether the 46.4 billion worth of benefits for oil, gas and coal-based industries could be dismantled in the next two to seven years. The motion was proposed by Groen Links, D66 and Partij voor de Dieren, but it was supported by a wide range of parties, uh, including the ChristenUnie, Labour, the Socialist Party, the Christian Democrats, and even the Fefe Day, the Froom Froom Party. Yeah. 
<laughs> Caretaker Environment Minister Robbie. They just wanted the the the, the motorway to be clear. <laughs> That's probably that it. Is, yeah, yeah. They want the protesters off the motorway. That's probably yeah. as much as it was. Um, yeah, the, the, they added kind of various clauses. I think watered it down quite a bit as well. Anyway, Caretaker Environment Minister Rob Yetton warned the timetable set out in the motion was uh, unrealistic, but he hoped to have a range of scenarios drawn up by early next year. The CDR was critical of Extinction Rebellion's protest methods. Spokesman Dirk Bosveg said, whether you've got a tractor under your backside or a bottle of glue in your hand, demonstrating on the motorway is forbidden and you shouldn't do it. Uh, even though in practice uh, both those uh, forms of protest have uh, been allowed to um, uh, take place. But Exile's tactics propelled them to the top of the Sustainable 100 list compiled by Trial Newspaper. The jury said the group's campaign style was essential to stop climate change. Yeah, finally we can... Uh drive to the hague again yeah yeah we can although i mean i, mean, I live in the hague and yeah do we have uh, the protests have does mean that i've had to take out of diversion once in a while it hasn't caused massive disruption no um, no but, not uh, too much no, no. but uh, it's, it's kind of been a couple of a couple of hours every day it, it seems to be fairly fairly good natured as well uh the the, 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 the even though the, the police have been reporting people to uh tariffs for taking their children along to protests uh it seems to be fairly non-confrontational but i guess now the weather's changing as well at some point i was, I was always curious to see how extinction they just don't want to get wet anymore the uh yeah <laughs> the they, they were fine when it was uh water cannon in the sunshine but actual proper dutch rain is a different proposition isn't it yeah that's what's put them off yeah so yeah, so so I imagine. But I was always curious to see how Extinction Rebellion was going to wind this down because they, they said they were going to stay there until the fossil fuel subsidies would end. Which, given that was going yeah. to take seven years, at some point you always suspected that uh, they were going to have to find a way to uh, suspend or um, change the nature of the protests. They found a compromise, so it is just uh, pulled around the motorway. Exactly. If you've got some spare change, now you don't have to keep buying tubes of glue and inflatable flamingos for the A12 protests, why not put your money towards another sustainable cause, the Dutch News Podcast's weekly efforts to keep you up to speed with what's going on here in the Netherlands. Making these podcasts does take up a fair bit of time, and every euro you can spare helps us to put in the hours to make our bulletins as extensive, up-to-date, and as well-informed as we can feasibly manage. New patrons get a special shout-out to say thank you, access to our exclusive content, and the chance to ask us a question. And uh, this week we have a uh, clutch of uh, new supporters to thank, which is uh, very delightful. So thank you to Brian Dolan, to Julie, to Izzy, to Marika Colain, to Perry Vandermeer, to Tom Bilska, and to Lisa. Thank um, you all. Apologies to anyone whose name I've pronounced wrongly, but thank you very much <laughs> indeed. We are very grateful. We've had some uh, messages and some uh, questions from a few of the new patrons. Uh, Marika Klein says uh, she's a Dutch South African who lives in Germany, um, but has used to listen to the podcast in South Africa. Has now been following us from uh, closer to home, so edging towards the Netherlands. Uh, perhaps uh, <laughs> not quite ready to make the full leap, but uh, planning to vote in the election this year as well. Uh, and says I find your coverage of politics, specifically the party discussions, uh, really interesting and valuable. So thank you for that. So as well to support and thank you as well for becoming a patron. Izzy says, uh, after I moved to the Netherlands and the US, my dad wanted a way to catch up with what's going on in my new country, and he found this podcast, and now I'm a listener too. So uh, yeah. I'd like to give a shout-out to my dad, Andrew. Hi, Dad. So I, I like this business of passing on your shout-out. I think this is yeah. good. People are welcome to do that uh, that more, if uh, you've, got, you've got anyone that you'd like to shout-out to in receiving your shout-out. So thanks to you very much, Izzy, and uh, keep listening, and uh, hello to Andrew as well. 
And finally, uh, Tom Bilska, who's from Australia, he does have a question for us. Uh, he says he's uh, lived in the Netherlands for just over five years and is now in the process of applying for citizenship and says, uh, I've been listening to the podcast and uh, appreciated it as I've been learning more Dutch. Uh, unfortunately, I, I guess we haven't really helped you with learning Dutch here, but um, at least uh, we've given you a bit of context. Some words, yeah. Some, a few words, yeah. Opef, yeah. Uh, Frikandel. Frikandel, yeah. Kiesdeel. Vatikanon. Vatikanon, yeah. So there's a few. Yeah, the question he had was, what are your predictions for what might happen as the outcome? Who will get the most seats and who will end up forming a coalition? Well, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but I think, uh, yeah. as we said during the item, I, th I think uh, we've got three parties running neck and neck, and unless something drastic happens during the campaign, uh, I think we're going to end up with those three parties as the biggest, and all the others will be so far behind, or like Wilders, not considered for participation in the coalition. So I think the very strong likelihood at the moment is we'll end up with a coalition of those top three parties, because it does look like yeah. they are all prepared to work with each other. And I think the overwhelming sentiment for the voters is they just want a government that can actually get things done after four years when uh, they've been stalling on the big issues like nitrogen and uh, asylum and migration. Yeah, I agree. And um, I think uh, the departure of Mark Rutte uh, really helped um, a lot of parties, uh, especially Pieter Omtzigt and perhaps uh, uh, Van Zimmermans as well, to be more open to a cooperation with the VVD, I imagine. Um, who is going to be prime minister, if you ask me? I wouldn't be surprised if Frans Timmermans is going to be the next prime minister. Uh, why is that? It is because he is uh, uh, just seen as a statesman, uh, much more than uh, Dylan Jesselgus or uh, Pieter Omzicht or whoever he is going to pick as his prime ministerial candidate. I think we are living in very turbulent times right now, uh, geopolitically, but also economically. And uh, a lot of people just want a monumental figure who they know can lead uh, a country or a continent and uh, Frans Timmermans has, uh, has proven that so I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, is going to be the leader in this three horse race that would be my guess but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the VVD winning as well um, it's one of them I think and I think with Omsicht as well he said quite clearly he doesn't want to be Prime Minister but who else would he put forward yeah, because he, we still don't know because Omsicht stands he really towers above his party so I don't know who he could propose as a potential Prime Minister who uh, the voters would actually be interested in to say they're really voting yep. for Peter Omsicht but he doesn't want the job of Prime Minister so I guess even if NSA became the biggest party I wouldn't be surprised at all if he passed the job on to Timmermans so, as we mentioned earlier, we have another bonus episode uh, profiling three more parties taking part in the election. So if you'd like to get access to that, as well as just uh, the general sense of satisfaction that comes from uh, supporting this podcast, mm -hmm. get along to our Patreon page and sign up at www.patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. New figures from the National Statistics Agency, CBS, show that the Dutch bankruptcy rate is continuing to rise. In the first nine months of 2023, 60% more companies went bust than in the same period last year. While month on month the increase is still low, the trend has been upward for over a year. At the height of the economic crisis in 2013, 911 firms went bankrupt and by August 2021 this had fallen to a record low of 109. But this was mostly thanks to government support to soften the economic impact of lockdowns. Experts expected the bankruptcy rate to rise once the support measures went down. During the pandemic, firms uh, were also able to defer their taxes, but the tax office said in July 37,000 business owners had fallen behind in the installment scheme, which gives them five years to pay their deferred tax debt. 
51,000 hadn't paid anything at all. And in July, experts told the Financiële Dagblad they expected 3,270 bankruptcies this year. That's an awfully uh, precise number. Yes. And uh, that would be a rise of 52% on 2022. Yeah. So 52% sounds like a big rise, but it is from a very low base. So. Yeah. And it's also a lot of catch up from the years of the pandemic, of course. So, um, but still, it is um, not a good sign no. uh, to have so many bankruptcies and such an increasing amount of bankruptcies. So that's one uh, negative sign for the uh, Dutch economy, and uh, it's not the only one. No, because the International Monetary Fund expects the economic growth in the Netherlands to slow down, similar to uh, other European countries, and this is mostly due to inflation that continues to be problematic. The IMF cut its uh, 2023 economic forecast from 1% to 0.6% and to 1.1% next year. Uh, while the Dutch economic planning agency CPB set its prediction at uh, 0.7% and 1.5% respectively. In 2022, the Dutch economy grew 4.3% according to the IMF, and the Eurozone growth forecast uh, is also cut to 0.7% this year and 1.2% next year. And I believe I got a push message from the BBC this week that the German economy is also predicted to be in a recession. I think it already is, isn't it? Uh, Germany and the Netherlands are currently in recession. Mm, And um, yeah, the Dutch economy is so tied up with the German uh, economy that you always see a delayed effect to the Dutch economy. Uh, So uh, what is happening in Germany now, uh, we will see in a couple of months, uh, we we will see the same thing happening in the Netherlands. Yeah, if if Germany sneezes, we catch a cold. (laughs) We're in a period of stagflation, I think is a word I saw this week as well. Inflation is rising, but uh, the economy is not growing, which isn't great. Uh, But uh, Klaas Knott, the head of the central bank, said uh, we shouldn't get too despondent because at least we all, we have low unemployment. So we're working, um, but we're not actually getting any richer. And they're also buying less stuff online. Yes, the uh, 300 biggest Dutch web shops saw a collective decline of 26 billion euros in 2022, which is the first time in 16 years we bought less online. Mm. Online shopping monitor Twinkle, which is a disturbing name, uh, said this is uh, 2% down compared to 2021. And when sales shot up uh, by 27% because of the corona restrictions. Like last year, Bol.com, which uh, decided to change its name to just simply Bol, yeah. uh, is uh, top on the list with sales of uh, 4 billion, followed by Albert Heijn and Cool Blue. Zalando has now overtaken Amazon to take fourth place. I never knew Amazon was such a big player in the uh, Dutch online market. Uh. It's crept up, hasn't it? I mean, it launched a Dutch site, uh, I think, a year or two ago. But yeah, it, it was always catching up after sites like Bold.com took the lead in the market. Yeah. But I like this trend that Bold.com are dropping the .com. Remember that was about 10 years ago, everyone's business name ended in .com because it sounded yeah. new and exciting. And now it's it seems a bit uh, sort of boring and passe, so they're all quietly dropping it. So Amazon used to be amazon.com and now it's just amazon ah okay yeah yeah it all reminds us a little bit of the dot-com bubble right yeah, exactly so, uh, yeah that's the reason why everyone dropped that part of the name but uh, yeah. st- i think uh, ball.com yeah still i always called it ball.com yes, yeah i never called it ball yeah ball originally books online of course it was a book selling site like amazon oh. yeah that's what ball stands for so it really is the dutch equivalent of, of amazon yeah literally. exactly yeah, yeah. Except it's not led by a uh, lunatic billionaire, I think. <laughs> yeah, Amazon's main incursion to the Netherlands is, uh, is getting yachts built that were so big that we had to take out a bridge to, <laughs> to export them. 
Time now for an update on the Netherlands' progress at the Cricket World Cup in India. The Dutch qualified for the tournament for the first time in 12 years and were pitched straight in at the deep end against Pakistan. They started pretty well in Hyderabad, taking three wickets in the first nine overs for the loss of 38 runs and eventually bowled out Pakistan for 286, which is no mean feat. Midway through their own innings, the Dutch were at 120 for two, with a half-century for Vikramjit Singh, and on track to cause a major upset. But the middle and lower orders weren't quite up to it, and the Netherlands were eventually bowled out for 205, meaning that Pakistan won by a fairly healthy margin of 81 runs. Captain Scott Edwards sounded actually disappointed they hadn't managed to beat Pakistan, which uh, I guess is a measure of uh, how ambitious the Dutch are at this tournament. It's probably one that got away, he said. It didn't get any easier in the second match three days later. Again playing in Hyderabad, they won the toss and opted to bowl against New Zealand. The Black Caps had thrashed England by nine wickets in their opening game, and after a slow start they put together a total of 322, helped by a monster 50 off the last three overs. The Dutch never really looked like making that score, and although Colin Ackerman briefly raised their hopes to the knock of 69, once he was dismissed in the 33rd over, it was only a matter of time, and the Dutch were eventually bowled out for 223, losing by 99 runs. They were now midway through an eight-day break, ahead of their next match on Tuesday against South Africa, and uh, that looks like another stiff test, because South Africa comprehensively beat Australia by 134 runs on Thursday. But uh, we've got some Dutch winners to celebrate on the road, right? Yes, uh, first of all, congratulations to Max Verstappen, who won the Formula One Drivers' Championship in a thrilling fashion with a nervous overtaking (laughs) move on the last lap. No, of course he didn't. He'd actually won the title about three months ago, and he's been mile ahead all season. He didn't even wait till the main race in Qatar to seize the title. Uh, He got that done and dusted in Saturday's sprint race, uh, which he didn't actually win for a change. Somebody else won. Piasta, wasn't it? Um, Yeah. So he won the World Championship in the most boring uh, fashion. The Kiesraad might as well draw on the, the winner from, uh, from that ball. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that would have been more exciting. Yeah. Um, in the sprint race, which is the stupidest invention of Formula One, yeah. uh, at a terrible place, Qatar. Yeah, um, on the worst circuit in the most dreadful conditions. Yeah, literally dreadful conditions because it was so extremely hot. I think uh, a, a couple of uh, drivers um, were really suffering, right? Yeah, I think well, that was one of the biggest talking points. Uh, was It was the intense heat. Uh, Logan Sargent retired from the race suffering what looked for all the world like heat exhaustion. Uh, Esteban Ocon admitted he'd vomited in his helmet during the race and then uh, just had to carry oh, really? on in the heat. Yeah, which is just an image you don't want to <laughs> have in your head. Do you? I, I saw um, a video of one driver who'd actually had to take his hands off the steering wheel at uh, going at 300 kilometers an hour because it was so hot he couldn't actually hold yeah. on to it um so it's a great place to drive in uh, in very heat cars yeah. and also a great place to uh, to hold for example a world championship football right yeah big questions about the suitability of qatar as a, as a world championship venue and also the, the, the track as well raising questions uh, the fia the governing body were worried about the curbs the the pyramid style curbs which they said were too abrasive on the tires yeah. and imposed an, a limit of 18 laps on tires so that meant the drivers had to come into the pits at least three times and that meant they had to sit out in the heat for even longer although only a couple of seconds longer I guess yeah so this was uh, the most boring win uh, on the road but there was uh, another very spectacular orange win uh, at the other side of the globe right yeah and also on the road because Sifan Hassan won the Chicago Marathon in her second marathon she won in London of course earlier this year and it was also the second fastest time ever run by a woman in a marathon and if she'd done it two weeks ago it would have been a world record oh wow amazing An, an amazing feat yeah Hassan said she struggled with the early start, which was arranged to protect the runners from the midday heat. Uh, Qatar, take notes. She said, Mm -hmm. I'm not a morning person, and it was cold. 
But she soon <laughs> settled into her stride and she ran away from Kenya's uh, Ruth Chepengetich in the last 10 miles, winning in 2 hours, 13 minutes and 38 seconds. Imagine if the start was later on the day and uh, yeah. the, the temperature was a little bit warmer, then uh, how fast would, you, would she have gone? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the mind boggles. And um, Ronald Koeman, uh, has she called up your children for Friday night's match against uh, France? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I think it's only a matter of time because the injury list is so long that the Dutch are struggling to put any kind of team together. Frankie de Jong, Matthijs de Ligt, Memphis de Pai, Cody Gakpo, Stefan Berghaus, Noah Lang, Sven Botman and goalkeeper Mark Flecken are all ruled out. Even the goalkeeper. <laughs> Even the goalkeeper, yeah. They're all ruled out of the game in Amsterdam on Friday. Tone Kopmeiners is also a doubt, but I think uh, they'll probably be nailing extra limbs onto him to make sure he can get a game because uh, they're so short of players. Ian Matson of Chelsea has been brought in to replace Berghaus and Calvin Stengs of PSV and Andres Noppert. He was the goalkeeper who was called up and shot to fame during the World Cup and then got an injury straight afterwards and has uh, yeah, only just come back, I think, into form the last uh, uh, month or two for here or fame. But uh, the big talk mm-hmm. that he'd have some big massive transfer to a major European club and it never happened. He's now struggling to get into Hero Fane's first team. Anyway, he's now going to win another cap for Orania because um, there's, uh, they're so short of goalkeepers. And of course they're up against France who won the earlier group game in Paris by four goals to nil and if the makeshift Dutch side can't spring an upset, Monday night's game against Greece in Athens will become absolutely crucial because uh, they need to beat Greece to make sure they go through as a second place team to the uh, European Championships. If they don't, there's some kind of incredibly complicated formula involving the Nations League that means they probably still will qualify. If that doesn't work <laughs> out, then we can ask a Kiesgrad to um, pull names <laughs> out of a hat. Yeah, luckily for Ronje, they are playing in uh, Amsterdam and uh, yeah, everything is going very smoothly uh, recently in Amsterdam. So uh, hopefully they can get some luck from Ajax uh, and it will help them. A uh, new exhibition at the Van Gogh Museum looks uh, at the role the River Seine and the area northwest of Paris played in the works of five avant-garde painters, including Vincent van Gogh. The exhibition is called Van Gogh along the Seine and it tells the story of uh, an area where modern industry met the beginnings of casual tourism, which inspired van Gogh as well as his contemporaries uh, Paul Signac, Georges Seurat, Émile Bernard and Charles Angrand. The exhibition unites 75 of their paintings and sketches, showing how these developing artists responded to a changing landscape and society. Thanks to the arrival of trains, the area just outside Paris became a popular location for city day trippers, uh, both laborers and the bourgeoisie. And as these five contemporaries developed their styles, Van Gogh, for example, his loose but colorful impressionism and Seurat's uh, pointillist technique, They also featured new pedestrian subjects, such as uh, instead of grand or biblical scenes. When Van Gogh went to Paris from late February 1886 to February 1888, he looked to modern Parisian artists to develop a new kind of style. He would walk three miles from his home in Montmartre, in the north of the city, uh, out along the Seine to the village of Asnières, painting landscapes, factories, restaurants and the laundry boats along the way. The exhibition features seven of nine major paintings that Van Gogh made at the time, which have been borrowed from private and public collections across the world. Three were made from a single two-meter-long canvas with the red cutting line still visible, presenting a uh, triptych of uh, this society on the move. Van Gogh along the Seine opens uh, today on October 13th and runs until January 14th at the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam and buy your tickets online because you can't buy them uh, at the front door. (laughs) It's just like the Pokemon uh, exhibition all over again. Yeah. 
So that's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating, and you'll get access to all our bonus content, plus a special shout-out and uh, lots of other exciting things. Maybe a shout-out for someone else that's also allowed uh, nowadays. Yeah, so if you want to do that, uh, back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. My thanks to Paul Peters, I'm Gordon Derrick, and we'll be back next week. A shout-out by Proxy, that's a new invention. Proxy shout-outs. I have to uh, apologize to, I think it was the Nations League. Really? I think it was. Uh, yeah, because I had to guess uh, this week um, the capital of oh. Albania, uh, which I only knew because I think the... No, it wasn't the no, Nations it was the League. It was league. the other... Uh, yeah, the Conference League. The Conference League, yeah. yeah. They, they, held the, they held the finale in... Uh, in Tirana. In, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Tirana. Yeah, so that was uh, that was how I <laughs> knew what the capital of Albania was. So I had to apologize to this uh, to this uh, stupid tournament. Yeah, basically the, the Dutch learn geography uh, or European geography from uh, finding out which cities uh, Feyenoord fans have destroyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we know old cities in Europe, uh, basically. <laughs>